Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, a podcast about making things up and making things happen. This week I'm talking to writer, journalist, and reality producer Chris Lasada. He recently did something that no one else I know has done, and uh, you'll have to listen a little bit to find out what that is. Uh, before we get to Chris, um, a little uh, shout-out for my website, DennisAnyone.net. You can email me there, you can check out pictures, and we're going to definitely post pictures to go with Chris's podcast, because uh, I think you might want to see that. Uh, you can donate to my virtual tip jar. It helps me cover expenses and keep the podcast free. I always really appreciate that. Um, follow me on Twitter, at Hensley Dennis, Instagram, Dennis C. Hensley, and uh, like the Dennis Anyone Facebook page. That would be great. All right, without any further ado, here is Chris Lasada. Hey there, I'm coming to you from my condo in North Hollywood with my guest today, Chris Lasada. He's a writer, he is a TV producer, he does cool consulting things, and you just did somebody something that nobody I know has ever done. I did. You went to Greenland. I did. I went to Greenland. What on earth? Were you, why were you in Greenland? Did, so, did you get lost on the way to somewhere else? I did not get lost on the way to somewhere else. So um, it was. It all came together very, very quickly. So it's all because of Facebook. Thank you, Mark Zuckerberg. One, wow, a good Facebook it thing. It is a good Facebook thing. It okay. Happened. It wasn't just like fighting with like people from high school about the election or something. So basically, a woman that I had worked with on Big Brother, I'm a... Longtime producer on CBS Summer Sensation, Big Brother. Um, it is a summer sensation. It is a summer sensation. We'll talk about it a little bit. But basically, uh, she had tagged me in a post. Someone that she had worked with was looking for someone. He had put out a post that said, hey, does anyone know a writer with connections with different magazines who can write about a travel experience? So she, in her response to him, put my name. So it was one of those things, you know, when your friend tags you in a picture or something right. and you expect to see a picture of yourself at dinner from like right. two nights ago that you didn't know anyone had taken that picture. Right. Instead, she was tagging me to meet up with this guy, David right. Casey. So okay. I I was like, all right, like something random from Facebook. We'll see what happens. So I was kind of busy finishing up the season. I had already planned some other travel. And I basically just responded to him and said, hey, sort of what are you looking for? Thinking between Big Brother, about less than a week off, and then travel, I would never happen. So It would never come together. It would never come together. So David is was a very interesting guy. He had produced, you know those like Yukon Gold shows, the shows that are shot like in... There's a lot of different Arctic shows out there, like on History Channel and Nat Geo and stuff. He had shot a show for three seasons that was um, based in Greenland about these gold hunters and these guys like searching all over Greenland for gold. And they, I think they have searched. Are they other known to too. have gold in Greenland? Uh, apparent, well, I don't think they found much gold, but there are rubies and other kind of. Oh, okay, stuff. that's cool. So anyway, he had shot three shows, uh, three seasons of this show up there, and then he had sort of fallen in love with Greenland. So he had reached out. Who knew there was a Greenland, a Greenlandic uh, film community there? And basically, the film, the tourism board. And the government had gotten together, and they decided to form a film commission. Finally, to so, try to lure people to, to try to lure people to, to Greenland. So it was two things. One thing is to promote the local film industry, to promote local filmmakers and local producers and people who want to be involved um, in film and television and, and content production. But then also. Greenland was looking at Iceland, which has become a major, major destination for people to shoot. They looked at Western Canada. They looked at places like New Zealand or different American states. And their thinking is, well, if people can go there, why aren't they coming to Greenland as well? So last year they had their first conference. And then this year, was it just happened, David um, was looking for someone who had some writing experience, 
who could come and write about the conference and write more about Greenland and talk about Greenland right. as a shooting uh, location, which is why I'm here today with you. So, I love it. So you went... I can't even tell you one city. No, nobody can. I didn't know until I was... Or town. Was well, first off, there's... So Greenland is about the size of California. Okay. It's got 57,000 people. So the largest city is Nook. Right. In the UK. And that is 17,000 people. It is actually the world's smallest capital. So, wow. yeah, it was really trippy. So most people know Greenland. So when I told people... So then... So David said to me, he's like, hey, would you want to go? It's a three-day trip. Um, we will pay your way there and cover your costs in Greenland, which Greenland is kind of like Alaska. It's like prohibitively expensive when you get there. And also Greenland uses the Danish kroner, which like if anyone has been to Scandinavia, it's prohibitively expensive. And if you've ever been to Copenhagen or Denmark, you know how expensive it is in general. So it's like a double whammy to go there. It's incredibly expensive. So the Air Greenland and the travel board was sponsoring this trip. So it turned out the dates were perfect for me between work finishing and going on my own trip. So I said, yeah, like, why the hell not? Like, let's do it. Let's go. Um, is there any kind of grinder scruff life there, you on know Greenland? What? I, I did look at some... The nearest person was like in Iceland. No, it, <laughs> it, was, it was... I think there was somebody maybe a couple hundred miles away. I was more intrigued just to see... There was somebody on, in Greenland, though. It's probably in Nook. Probably right. in the big city. Did I you go to Nook? I did not go to Nook. I didn't go to the big wow. city. Wow. I was in Ganger Shoshak. Of course. I was going to say that next. Like, that's where everyone goes um, in September. Uh, but... Uh, I did check out a little bit, and there was not much. And I think I, I maybe like the closest after Greenland were people in, in Eastern Canada, yeah. and then maybe a couple dudes in Iceland, and that was pretty much it. That was it. Their gay pride parade is one guy who's well, questioning. There's a gay pride. You're in kidding. Fact, so, and in, in fact, I need to reach out to the person. There is a guy who started gay pride, um, and he has since uh, transitioned. He is a trans woman, and I've, I've not spoken to her yet, but. Um, it, you know, Greenland is very Scandinavian. So yeah, they're so very, very, very open and welcome. Live and, live. and people said they were very proud that Nook had its first pride. That's amazing. Ago. So there is Nook pride. You know, it's like Amsterdam, you know, San Francisco, London, and now Nook. And now Nook. How is the topography? What is it okay. like? So about 90% of the island is covered in an ice sheet. Like it looks like the north, you know, like it looks right. like Game of Thrones. Like it's all covered in ice. So most people's experience is the fourth grade thing you learn, which is Iceland is green and Greenland is ice. Right. So when I would say to people I'm going to Greenland, they would say that back I to me. I missed that day, by the way. And I don't remember that. Day. But I yeah. had like repeatedly like people yeah. telling me that when I told them I was going to go. So... You most people have flown over. Like if you've flown from um, the west coast, you've probably flown over Greenland on your way to Europe. I think the same from the east coast as well. So you'll go over this massive piece of land. So I think it's what like several hundred kilometers wide and even longer um, lengthwise. You know, I remember when I played Risk that game. It's all white, yeah, and it's giant. Yes, compared to the rest of yes. Europe, it's the largest island. In the world. If it was any bigger, it would be a continent like Australia. So it's basically, they just missed out on continent status, so they're just an island. They're just an island. Just an island, but the biggest island. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, it's not Madagascar, it's it's like the biggest What was the weather like? So, when we were there, it was about 30 degrees, 31, and in Ganger Shilshak, it's very clear, so... 
it was the weather was uh, clear and cool, so it what there was no rain or anything, so that was really nice. So it was like thirty degrees, so it wasn't ridiculous. It wasn't like crazy Arctic temperatures or anything. Right. But granted, I was there in late September. In summer and the, in the winter is it just brutal? I, I guess it's brutal. But the bigger thing in the winter is it is um, it's just so dark. So where most of Greenland is above the Arctic Circle, most places you're probably going to go. So in the summer it's light twenty three hours a day, and then in the winter. Wow. It's never really sunny. You just get a couple hours of twilight, and that's it. And that is it. That's it. But I was there the perfect time, so it was basically 12 hours of light and 12 hours of dark. And it was a full, bright day. So it wasn't like, you know, long days during each night, like twilight all day long. But that's something that they talk about, which well, is shooting. if you time it at the right time, golden hour will last an afternoon or like seven, eight hours. And that's a film term for like the end of the day when the, the light, light is so good. Perfect. It's yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. perfect. So uh, basically the, uh, but the thing about Greenland is it makes it very difficult. So Iceland is very easy to get to, right? Like you can fly from over half a dozen cities in the U.S. You can fly from almost every major capital in, uh, in, in Europe. And there's about 300,000 people in Iceland. So, Iceland is very sexy. Iceland's very sexy. It's a great tourist destination, but it's also a very, very hot spot for production. And I think Greenland looks at Iceland as a little bit sort of yeah, like, Yeah, what's wrong with us? Why can we get it? Well, there's a few things wrong. So, well, there's a couple things. Well, so Iceland has a, has some, like, rental houses. There is a, a, a large enough uh, population to have, like, full-time people that can work. I think you can do more. I think it's a couple... I don't know if it's a crew, how many crews deep it is, but... Right. And, and like they have the talent there. They have the talent there, and the talent is very easily accessible. So the problem with Greenland is you can only fly in and out through Copenhagen. First of all, like you can't fly from New York or London the way you can into Reykjavik. Right. Um, so the difference is what Greenland says is, which is absolutely true. So Iceland is a very specific kind of look because it's volcanic. It's new. The stone, the the rock is all black and sort of jagged. Yeah. There is ice, but it, it's a very specific look. Greenland's take is like, hey, because we're so big, and actually it's a very old rock, the, the stone is, is brown and red. It's a completely different hue and different, different color. It's not, um, it's not volcanic at all. So their thing is, is like, we have a bunch of different looks that you can see that you would not necessarily you see. You can't get anywhere else. You can't get anywhere else. So uh, basically what we did was, is that they flew me from LA to Copenhagen. I had a couple lovely days in Copenhagen. Beautiful city. Everyone rides a bike. Everyone's handsome and nice. It's like... Totally livable city. And then we got on a plane, and it actually is a four and a half hour flight. We flew Air Greenland. That's cool. Which you would think the planes are green, but the planes are red. Okay. I mean, whatever. It was all good. Um, and it's a four and a half hour flight from Copenhagen. And ironically, if there was a direct flight from New York, New York to um, Gangrek Schlossark, it would basically be about four hours, but basically no one flies there. The only airline in and out right now is Air Greenland, except for from Iceland, you can fly on propeller planes. Which wow. I don't know if I'm down with that. And it's only like certain times of the year. So Ganger Shark is was built by Americans. It's an American former air base. So it's the only long runway in the country. And the reason it was built there is because it's very clear there. It's clear like three hundred days of the year. It's like landing in Palm Springs or something. Like it never it doesn't get a lot of rain there. And in right. fact it's kind of dry. Like when you when you go around um Ganger Shark, it sort of looks like the high desert, like if you've ever driven out to Vegas or something, mm-hmm. it, you being from New Mexico, it's sort of, um, it's sort of like a sandy color actually. And it was not, a, I was like, oh, this reminds me of driving through like a high desert. 
So. Could you see them shooting like a sci-fi thing there or a Game of a- Thrones kind absolutely. of thing? Absolutely. So a bunch of things have been shot there. There's actually a film history. Uh, the One of the first major films that was shot there was some scenes from Dr. Strangelove was, was okay. done at Tule Air Base, way up north. So there is definitely history there. A film called Snowless Sense of Snow from the mid-90s. Yes. And The Last Airbender was shot there as well. Oh, wow. So there have been things that have been shot there for sure. Um, any number of commercials have been done there and a couple of things. I saw The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, the Ben Stiller one. Right. But I think it's Iceland. Well, so there's this whole... All these people get bet out of shape about that because apparently... Because they talk about Greenland. They talk about Greenland, but they shot it in Iceland. So if you talk... I know. So if you talk to people in Greenland about it, they're like, eh. I know. And apparently they used... I don't know if they used the Air Greenland logo or something, but a lot of people at the conference I went to sort of pointed to that as a mistake that Greenland made. They should have been more savvy about it and been like, well, if you're going to use our name and, you know, use the company and sort of talk about yeah. us, like, you got to shoot here. So, so that was like a real missed opportunity. 17,000 people are pissed at Ben Stiller. I don't know about that, but, you know, I mean, who could be pissed at Ben Stiller? Though? I know. Well, I like that movie a lot. Besides Anne Mira, maybe. I don't know. She, I hear, is a piece of work. I don't know. Um, what surprised you about it? So what surprised me about it were what the people are very trippy, which I, I didn't know, like what people would look like and yeah. it is kind of an amazing mix so there are Inuit people there okay. and that's the main dominant population and what's interesting is so before I went I actually went to the US Embassy in Copenhagen and met with Rufus, Rufus Gifford who is our ambassador to uh, to Denmark gay guy from LA originally the American ambassador the American ambassador and I met with them because the, the American government is very um you got to meet with an ambassador? I got to meet with an ambassador in That's the embassy cool. in his office. And that we'll talk about that because that was pretty trippy to me inside the embassy. Um, but I knew Rufus back when he was just a regular guy before he became a big ambassador. And, oh, you knew him already? And I had emailed him. I hadn't seen him in a long time. And I never thought he'd respond. But I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this this um, this conference. I'd love to get some quotes from you. And like immediately he responded by email. He couldn't have been nicer. And then he had this meeting for me at the embassy. What was the embassy like? So the embassy is really trippy because when you go inside, so it's sort of the embassy in Copenhagen is right on this main drag. It's right down from the Russian embassy. There's a bunch of other like consulates and embassy kind of buildings all around it from for different countries. And it's on this big street. It's very like, it sort of looks like maybe a middle school that was built in the, in the late fifties, early sixties, you know, that's sort of like very um, austere with all the straight lines and stuff. And maybe it was a little bit more metal, but it wasn't like overly like Fortress America or anything. It's quite open. Um, you know, there's guards there and stuff, and there's like cute Marines who like check you in, and there's like it's all good. You know, it's all that's all good. Um, and then you walk, and it looks like, like Argo. Sort of, it looks a little Argo-y, exactly. It actually looks a lot like Argo. And then you go in, and it feels like you're in like an office, like a federal building. Like if you've ever been to the federal building in like a big city, it was mm-hmm. sort of like that inside. But then I got taken up to where. Um, Rufus's offices and then the ambassador offices are, and they're all these big, big ass doors, like doors connected. To, so there's like the regular door, and then clearly there are doors that you can close in case like something Argo happens in Copenhagen, like you the Danes. To, you have to be on lockdown. Yeah, the Danes rage or something. So wow. they and so they and then the, Rufus's office at the end, and there was like his conference office, and it looked like just sort of any other office with like a conference table and stuff, but. I met with a bunch of people from the embassy. Everybody was so nice. And one of the guys I met, um, his mom works in Alaska. She works with different women communities there because of issues related to like alcoholism and domestic violence and things that are unique to you know different art cultures and stuff. Well, not unique to them, but is prevalent there. And yeah. he knew a few words of Inuit. And when he went to Greenland, he was shocked at what he could understand. So apparently the Inuit people 
from Alaska all the way across Canada into Greenland, the language is very uniform. That's so amazing. Yeah. So that, that even though it's all these far distances, and that's sort of what they look like. What you think of, you know, sort of like a person, a native person in Alaska, like an indigenous. And it's person. like a hundred different ways to say it's fucking it's, freezing. Yeah, like my balls are falling. <laughs> right? Or seals delicious. You know, <laughs> who knows. <coughs> so, name. so he said the language was very similar um, and then when you go that's what people look like they look sort of like um, like Mongolian or like with the dark cheeks and high cheekbones and stuff but what's really trippy is they all sort of look like tall Bjorks because people that are Danish and Inuit mixes are all very striking they're right. all super striking people were they sexy? they were super sexy they look sort of like otherworldly in some ways right. which is I mean somewhat of a pejorative and like very but people were stunningly um, engaging. Like nice. So, and everyone speaks three languages. People speak um, um, Greenlandic or, you know, foreign Inuit. They speak Danish and then they speak English. Awesome. So, so everyone's trying to Yeah, you're totally, it was just like being in like any Scandinavian country. Like nobody, like you didn't even have to ask. Like everyone just started speaking to you in English. Like all Did you recognize any franchises, chains or No, anything? so that's in there are no chains, nothing in Greenland. Like there's no Starbucks, Naria McDonald's, Naria Pete's. So, and I guarantee you, like the people on the trip were like, "Yeah, that's the way it should be." Uh, yeah. Two days in, they're like, "I would, I really would kill, kill for, for a pumpkin spice, spice man." <laughs> exactly. Come on, it's, it's almost October. I remember being in Peru and I'd done this press trip to Cusco and Machu Picchu, and I was so fucking glad they had a Starbucks in Lima because you know exactly what you're going to get. Right. You know it. You're like, "Oh, my shortbread covered in chocolate. Yeah. It's awesome." Yeah. I know. So yeah, there's no Nary cool. Starbucks none of that. Um, so that that is kind of interesting. Where we were, so. We, <laughs> so I met with Rufus and he, it, it's kind of cool. The American government was very supportive and they're like, Hey, whatever help you need. They're like, if you need quotes from us or stuff and you know, whatever you want. And if, when you're writing stuff, they're like, any help you can, you know, we want to give. Cause it, so Rufus is, it's kind of funny. He's become a bit of a celebrity in Denmark because Danish television did a reality show about him and his boyfriend who became his husband. Okay. And cool. they're sort of like, not the, they're the Riken and they're the Rik- of Yeah. Riken and Chip, but like a successful marriage and yeah. like, you know, really good things happen behind it. So um, when I was out and about in Copenhagen and I met people, people I would, I like mentioned someone just sort of offhand. I'm like, well, I'm going to be at the embassy. And they're like, are you going to meet Ambassador Gifford? And they're like, tell Rufus we said hi. Like, he's a bit of a celebrity. Everyone knows him. Yeah. Like he's a he really star. is kind of a big deal. Like, he could wear that shirt and it would be totally true. So, but what's interesting is his husband is a vet and he deals a lot with um, polar bear, um, um, you know, rescue and polar bear, like protecting them and their environment and stuff. So two episodes of his reality show, they actually shot in Greenland. So he's actually traveled up there. He's been there, I think six or seven times. He's gone with the Danish. Oh, that's good. Production value. Stuff. Yeah. Let's go so, with this guy to Greenland. That's right. Good TV. And so he's very supportive, not only of Greenland, but supportive of production that was there because his show actually shot two episodes there. So, so what, what other things surprised you about? Okay. So what surprised me was just how I'd never been to a place where everything is just so small. So we flew in and the, the, I, we were flying over and it was very clear and you could see the runway. It's this massive runway. It was built, you know, to let, to land bombers there and God knows maybe someday they will again, you know, but so, but there's not, there's almost nothing around. Like, I'm like, you could look down as we were landing and I'm like, there's nothing. Like it looked like it was just a runway and a couple shacks and stuff. And then when we finally landed, I was like, all right, there's nothing here. And then as we stayed a couple days, Things, it's not that things appeared, but you're like, oh, there is like a whole community, a sense of something here, even though it, from the looks of it, compared to what you would think of from 
a more, you know, regular season, not even regular season, like even 10,000 people, you're like, all right, if there's 500 people, it'll feel like nothing, but there really actually was something there. So I've never been to like Alaska or someplace that remote before. Yeah. Where there's just no one, no yeah. one. Um, and then the other thing that was really trippy about it is, I guess not unlike sort of other places in the north, um, you... None of the cities and the towns are connected or villages by road. You can only get there by boat or by flying. So, like, there's not a lot of roads in the country. Uh, so everything's on the coast. Everything's on the coast. Yeah. Right, because everything inland is covered in ice. Yeah. So everything's on the coast. Like, most people probably live less than, probably everybody lives less than a mile from the ocean. Wow. Like, there's just no way to live else, else you know, any other way. So that was that was kind of uh, that was kind of a big deal. But the thing that really surprised me was. We had a bunch of really good meals. Yeah, it's going to so, ask about food. Okay, so they're the coolest, the trippiest thing were um, the musk ox, which are oxen, like little oxen, but they have super duper long hair. They call them like the hippie ox, and they're about the size of ponies, and they're sort of like light brown with like white spots, but their hair is like super duper long. It looks almost like like a chenille is thrown over them. Or like, you know, sort of like a bear rug is thrown over them. And they have like little horns and stuff. And they're, they're not very big. So they're like, are you going to have muskox? And just the name musk was like, I was thinking like musky and it's going to yeah. be like gaming stuff. It was delicious. It tasted like roast beef. It was all sliced and lean and it was wow. delicious. So muskox. Muskox was delicious. And then the one thing that's funny, and because I saw it in, when I walked around a little bit in, in Ganger Shoshak, is there's a mailbox for um, Santa. I'm like, oh, there's a mailbox for Santa. And everyone's like, yeah, every town in Greenland has one of those. And then they purport to be the town that Santa picks up his mail. So I guess there's a little bit of a rivalry between, like, all the towns. For where Santa really where Santa his mailboxes, mail. et cetera. Yeah, exactly. So, but there is a box there, and it'll take mail from kids and stuff. So that, I thought it was kind That's of cute. That's cute. It was kind of cute. Did they talk to you about global warming? And <clears throat> they did. Done, uh, they did. Havoc? So, um, so there's a couple things. Uh, you know, one side of the global warming is, it's in some ways, it's unfortunate, but it's been somewhat good for their economy because people have come. Like, there's a lot of scientific people that come. There's lots of researchers that come. Right. There's researchers that and come. And they all need some muskox. They all need some muskox. And um, a place to stay. And they need a place to stay. So, um, in... So they're they're they're. I think the feeling is obviously they're very concerned because they know it's a major part of um, you know their world because they see it right. Like that was the thing. Like they took us out to from Gangersel Shark. We went both by helicopter, which is kind of awesome because I've never been in a helicopter before. And it was one of those big helicopters. It wasn't like the traffic, you know, traffic ten yeah. helicopter. It was a helicopter for like fifty people. It was a Sigorsky helicopter, which I guess is military house um, helicopters that have been. You know, some of them have been transitioned into civilian use. So it was sort of like maybe like 35 people it could, it could seat. So they flew us out over the ice sheet and then right next to the ice sheet. And you really did feel like a James Bond villain. Like you were just kind of landing in the middle of no place. And like you were just like walking around the ice sheet. So what would they be like, you know, when we were here last week and it Well, that's what they said. So there was one point they took us to. We actually, it wasn't when we were on the helicopter. It was when we were, uh, when we got on a bus. Because there are some roads in that area because the U.S. Army had built them and there were, like, some stations and things, like antennas and stuff all around. And they built roads right up to the ice sheet. So you're there, and then basically in front of the ice sheet is usually this big mound, and it looks like a mound of gravel, and that's a moraine. So, like, in front of the the the, um, the glaciers are moraines, and that's basically 
all of the rocks and stuff that have been pushed up in front. I know I'm not saying that exactly scientifically right, but what's interesting is it looks like piles of gravel and like you pull out from these piles and it'll be all different kinds of rocks. So I brought some rocks back with me. They're all kind of like pretty colors and stuff. That's cool. And it's all stuff that has been scraped up and pushed by the glacier. So the trippiest thing is, well, the most disturbing thing is like we were at an area and it was like this massive, massive lake. And it was all sort of this curved rock, and the, the, the part of the um, glacier was curved. And they're like, yeah, a year and a half ago, all of this was ice. There was no lake here. And then basically wow. what happened, what's happening is there's like areas underneath the glacier, like where things are melting, and then the melt comes out and forms lakes, and, and eventually they like wash out to the sea and stuff. So there's things that are definitely changing. But the, the trippiest thing about a glacier, like I had never been before. Have you? When I've you, been to Alaska okay. glaciers, yeah. So this is my thing, and I don't know if you felt this as well, was that I, I just thought glaciers were sort of like glorified rocks, like they were just there, right? But what got me about it, like I didn't see any calving, like parts of the of the glacier fall off or anything. But you get the sense that they're moving physical things, like they're made of water, right? And water is constantly moving, right. so it's not like you could see it, but you could feel the power of this glacier because it is not stationary, right? It's not sedentary, and that to me was really powerful. I did not expect that at all, like to get the sense that even though they weren't like physically moving in front of me, this is a an not an organism, but it's something that has movement to it and a kinetic feel to it. Yeah. Where I thought it was just like another extension of rock. So that I thought was really powerful. And then the other thing is there are all these like big boulder sized pieces of of ice that basically you can go and touch and it's all the blue ice and stuff. So like you could just sit there and like rub the blue ice and then you know if you rubbed it you'd feel like the moisture on your fingers and stuff. So that was really trippy too. Like just to see that up close and to see the feel of it all. So you know, they're, I think they're, they're of two minds. It's obviously, they're very concerned for all the um, environmental reasons, but there is some opportunity there in terms of some of the melt with people coming to explore and then, you know, what is under that ice. So there are some scary things. Like, there could be, like, a bad, scary movie out of it, which is there are microbes in the ice that have been trapped in the ice for wow. tens of thousands of hundreds of years. So, like, it would be, like, The Thing or one of those bad horror movies where, you know, the microbes get loose and do they kill us all? Do they make the us all? The Thing under the ice. Totally, The Thing under the ice. And then apparently there's there's all these rumors about missiles that, like, we deposited under the ice and we're like, oh, they'll be there forever under the ice and now maybe they won't be. Who knows? What If you were going to make a movie there, what would it be? What would you do? I think the movie you could make is... So I think there's two things you could make up there that I think would be really powerful. Like, I think if J.J. Abrams decided the new ice planet needed to be someplace that was never seen before... Right. He would go to... Um, he would go to Greenland. So I met two fixers, and I was like, all right, like, glaciers are... There's plenty of glaciers. There's glaciers all over the world. There's glaciers in Norway and Sweden. There's glaciers wherever. You know, there's cool big rocks. I'm like, what is it? What's your shtick? Like, what's your elevator pitch to me of, like, why I should pitch there? And one of the um, fixers is like, well, he's like, I have an area the size of Switzerland that I basically know, like, the back of my hand, and I can take you to, and I can promise you that no one's ever shot there before. Like, Iceland's kind of small, so, like, now people are stumbling over each other, and, like, looks have been repeated and things. And then I talked to another fixer, and she's like, well, I can do better than that. I can take you places and have you shoot places where no one's ever been before. So... I'm like, that's kind of powerful. That's pitch. pretty, yeah, that's powerful a pretty, pitch. that's a big pitch. You know, and I think that's the irony, like, as, as much as 
we CGI was going to have us all be working out of a green screen in Encino or something, or like, you know, it was going to be the road to the bottom in terms of just producing. I mean, like people pointed to like Jungle Books and other films like that, but still like, if you look at Game of Thrones or the Star Wars movies, there's still that desire to film on a practical location, that practical It's set. a thrill. Yeah, I mean, when you watch Star Wars, it was, it was fun. Yeah. To, yes. Because it was made up. It wasn't, it wasn't it was, it was funny some, and, It was yeah. some sort of reality to it that made it more real, even yeah. though you know you're not, it's on a planet, but like whatever it was, you know, so there is that I think that's what Greenland really has going for it is that there's things about it that are really spectacular we didn't go but there is a town called Lulisset which was north of us I think by like an hour maybe 45 minute flight and that is a town perched right on this rock outcropping and then the bay in front of the town is just full 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 of icebergs so they're showing pictures of it and it was just unbelievable and then one of the guys who was there, so the conference was about 50 people. So there was a lot of Scandinavians there. And there was a guy from, I think he was, I think he was Danish, Danish or Swedish, who was trying, I think he's trying to get like a filming company done up there, mm-hmm. like, like running planes and filming stuff. And he had shot a video um, of out around a little set and like all these different looks and locations. It's unbelievable. And then he showed this little, like four minute video, like his little sweet, like a little sizzle reel of like what you could see in, in Greenland. And it was all these different kind of looks, all these different kind of trains, like sort of like, like sort of tundra y and then like ice and then like, you know, like all these crazy rock, um, you know, outcroppings and stuff. And he's like, I shot that in an hour, hour 45. Wow. And like the number of different looks he got, like it was at least seven or eight different, very, very distinct looks. And I'm like, all right, like that. I'm sold. I'm sold. So I think the thing for any place, the place like Greenland is, if you do it right, it could be amazing. But if you do it wrong, it could be a nightmare. So, because if you time it wrong, you know, the cost, you know, the, you're not going to get the shots you need. So one thing that Greenland is doing is trying to build up their network of fixers. So this guy, David Casey, who, you know, was the one who helped organize this, the American producer, he talked about how he basically took like a, a company that did mining services or did services for, um, for scientific crews to go out and do research, he basically forced them into becoming a production services company. Like, sort of sheer force of will. was like, here are the things that I'm going to need. Like, this is what a crew is going to need. Like, you need to tweak and, you know, what you would do for a scientific or a mining. Yeah, add this this to your little thing. For your list of things. So, um, you know, that was kind of interesting for him to talk about that because, you know, like, what do you need? I mean, I think where Greenland could really, at least in the, the initial offering, is... Definitely more commercials. I think somebody could go up there and shoot because how long is commercial? Yeah, you, you get a couple days shooting, right? And you're yeah, done. Yeah. And the same thing with like a second unit, like maybe a couple yeah. actors and you know a smaller crew, like something like that. I mean, like it let's like say, the, the last shot of Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Totally. Yeah. You know where they went to the one island and where was it and oh, I forget where they shot that. But yeah, so it's like Daisy Ridley, Luke and Skywalker, Skywalker, and like ten guys. You in and out in an hour, and we're right. having some hawk's tooth, whatever it is. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> you got to go, and then you have the end of the movie, and like boom, and you know, it's like a shot. Never seen it before so because like what would so somebody could come in they have come in and done big productions before is you basically would have to bring everything with you so in a little set and in nook there are four star hotels like there's one or two so you could house like maybe 60 70 people take over the whole place take over the whole place um, in, in Ganger, uh, Shoshark, where I was, there was like, the hotel we were in was like a three star. Maybe that's being even a little charitable. It's connected right to the airport. Um, you know, it's very, it's, it's certainly, um, 
you know, it's suitable. But like, if you were going to do a real production, you'd have to bring everybody and you'd have to bring in all your stuff. I mean, the thing that's good. So the, the bad thing about Greenland is it's so small. They don't have the resources to do like tax breaks the way like American States do or other countries do, but they don't have, um, carnet rules, which basically mean that some countries tax you for bringing in equipment so that they don't have in Greenland. So you can bring whatever you want, whenever you want. And the thing is, unfortunately you'd have to bring everything because there's not a production house there or a rental facility where you could rent equipment. Is there a Miss Greenland pageant? Do you know? Yeah, that's a good question. There's, is there a Miss Greenland at Miss Universe? I don't know. No, maybe that's, they just threw it through Denmark. So that's the other thing. Like, so Greenland is its own country, but everything goes through Denmark. So like the Danes, um, you know, subsidize them. Like they write them a big check every year. Like just give them a bunch of kroner. And then they also take care of all their foreign policy and their security. Uh, but I guess at different times, both Canada and America have tried to buy Greenland. Like, we actually, like, went and made an offer. Wow. And then during World War II, the U.S. annexed Greenland because the Danes were, you know, were under German occupation. So, I guess we, you know, unlike, we have, very we have some history there. Yeah, it was very un-Trump-like, though. You know, we just, we didn't keep it for our own. We what do people do there for jobs? Uh, so is it like fishing and I think it's fishing, it's tourism, um, in Ganger Schussark, it's working at the airport. Like the one guy, it was funny cause the one guy on our plane who came, the maintenance guy was there just in case something happened on the, in the, I'm sorry, in the helicopter in the Skorsky. When I flew out, he was there fixing the seat in business class. So like I went to business class and he was there fixing the seat for some guy. And I'm like, I know you. He's like, I do it all. Like I fix he seats. He probably runs the local the colors. Yeah. theater or whatever. Yeah. So like, and it was interesting because the airport only has flights a certain day, like the, the big flights. So like one of the days we were there, it was super quiet. But the day of like flights are all sort of banded together. There's like this lots of activity, even though there's only one gate. So you would see the guys who were there, like with the little uh, orange things, like leading the plane in. Like he was just, you know, the, that that was that seemed to be the main industry in Gangersersark. Um, they did take us to a really nice restaurant, actually. That's nice. I looked out over um, this little lake and stuff. Cool. So like, and there the guy there was like people just working there in the restaurant and stuff. So and then the, in the town we went to the little market. It was really like a little efficiency market, but they had seal, you know, chopped seal in the. Did you taste it? Stuff. What is it? No, taste like? I was told he shouldn't have the seal because of the mercury content because it's so oh, high yeah. up the food chain. But apparently, um, they found that seal's really good for you, and that's because I was like, "There's oh, that was the other thing. The other thing in Greenland, it was the one place I've been to where there are no trees. There are no trees. No trees. Not anywhere on the island. An island the size of California, and no trees. There's like five or six little Christmas trees that the Americans planted, but they're kind of yellow. They look like Charlie Brown trees, and that was it. Like there are no trees on the island. I guess are there shrubs and grass? There's grass. Um, I think there's shrubs further south. Um, there's grass and then there's berries and stuff because there are white hair and there because like, the muskox and the reindeer have to eat stuff. And then there are white hair and they're actually big rabbits. They're sort of like maybe like a foot and a half tall and they have big tall ears. So we saw a couple of the rabbits. And then there are blue foxes. There are arctic foxes and blue foxes and they're apparently adorable. But you don't see them because they kind of like take off. Yeah, they don't hang out. They don't hang out. And there's wow. tons of fish. So, um, and obviously there's lots of like haddocks. So there's fishing. Um, there's people that will work with the, you know, that support the mining and the, um, and the scientific people. And then within the small communities, it's sort of just like the people that support right. the little towns. Your Uber guy. Yeah. I know there's, and there's, I don't think there's, any, there's, there's probably Uber not an Uber guy. guy. There's not an Uber guy. The guy but that like, works at the store right. and the office or whatever. But like someone told me that when in Nook, they, they built a mall 
And everyone was all excited because they built a um, the mall has an escalator. So oh, we're really, that's amazing. Yeah, what if they have a movie theater? They, I, you know, I think there's a movie theater in Nook. Um, and then the other thing is there are stores, but they're all owned by Greenland, or it's sort of like communism works there. There's not individual stores, but they sort of make them look like individual stores right. in the mall. So it's sort of like... Like a, Barbara Streisand's basement. Totally. It's Barbara Streisand's basement, but people buy things. With no trees. Yes. With no trees and, you know, sort of like Asian-y looking people because they're Inuit. So. Well, send me a few pictures to post on the DennisAnyone.net page. So I will send And you, I will uh, put them with the podcast sure. to see what it looks like. I will send pictures and I will send you the link of some of the oh, fun. footage because some of the filmmakers show their stuff and there's some actually really accomplished really lovely little films. That's awesome. Yeah, this one woman. So you meet you met a lot of interesting people. Like one of the women we met um, runs, she's originally from the Faroe Islands, which are not far from there and that's where I think different things have been shot there. Um, that's also Danish, and it's very different from Greenland, but she's from the Fair Islands. She moved to Greenland, and she runs a um, orphanage up in northern Greenland in one of the towns there. Because I guess there's, you know, um, there's a lot of alcoholism, and, you know, kids sort of, you know, don't have a place to go. So she did this, um, you know, ran this um, orphanage, and she's quite accomplished. Like, she's reached out to all these people. Like, she's coming to L.A. Like, she's a real navigator. Like, she's brought the kids all over the world, and I think she's doing something here with, like, the symphony and stuff at Disney Hall. Like, she's a real operator. She's like, boom, boom, boom. So she made a film about sort of a a scripted film, a a narrative about, um, you know, sort of this guy and sort of trying to figure out his way in the world and stuff. And then there's been different documentaries made about her orphanages as well. And then I met another female filmmaker who's doing a film on one of the, a female um, dog rider. So that's the other thing is if you go further north, it's just like, Alaska, where you see all the dogs, like the, the you know, the, the Arctic dogs that, you know, are pulling sleds and stuff. That's cool. Yeah. So, we saw a couple films, and they were, like, really awesome little bits of things. So, I'll see if I can find posts. Yeah, send me that stuff. So, you just wrapped Big Brother. I did. How I many did. seasons does that make this for you? This is my 10th season. I'm and what brother. do you do on the show? So, I'm a supervising producer on Big Brother. So... So, that means you oversee a certain episode? Yeah. Or? So, I work in story, and basically, there are three episodes. In the American version, there are three episodes a week, and... I am responsible for the past couple seasons. I've been responsible for all the taped packages you see on the live show. So, on so the you Thursday go out in the field? Well, they're all in the house. We, I have a field person. He goes yeah. out and shoots. Like we may do a package on like someone's family or something, yeah. and then eventually, for people who watch the show, no, we see people in the jury house. So like, you know, in Survivor, you never see people at the Ponderosa. You never see like them like sort of being bitter about like being booted off or whatever and being like, oh, if I could be in the house now, eh. We actually do that on Big Brother. You go to the house. We go to the house and we see, yeah, like bitter party six or bitter party six. Do they fool around? Do they have like love making and stuff in the after house? I think so. Like we've talked about that. Like one of the characters, like there was a romance and you see some of the romance. And then this past season for people who watch, it was very, um, it got very heated. Like usually our jury houses are very staid and kind of quiet and it was very explosive and people yelling and screaming and running around. So there was more so. drama in the jury house than there the was a lot of drama in the jury house this year. Yeah, it wow. turned out to be really fun. So um, yeah, there's a lot going on. It's now, when I don't watch the show regularly, but whenever it's on, I'll hear in the air if it's a good season or oh, it's not as good as last right. season or whatever. How do you even, as producers, you don't really you it's don't crash look. It's but a, are you aware of the chatter? Or? I, look, to a certain extent, there's other people who follow that. I, I, I don't follow a lot of that because it's just there's too much there's not enough hours in the day and I just don't want to spend my free time like going over that stuff I don't think it helps me do what I want to do if I'll hear about things from certain people and if there's things that need to be addressed because of some 
incident or, you know, there's like something happening, I will hear that as well. So like at different times things happen. And what's interesting about Big Brother is unlike other shows, right? Like, like The Bachelor or, um, you know, uh, Survivor or Amazing Race that was shot months ago. Right. And then it's shot and then it's edited and then goes on the air. Right. Yeah. And then they come back to the reunion show and they're not as hottest when they were emaciated on the island. Right. And then, but also like, it's not like happening in real time. The, The amazing thing about Big Brother is it's happening in real time. And these people don't know. Like on past seasons, there've been issues that when people have said things or used words, they, you know, that were maybe inappropriate or whatever. And things that have become like these big issues. Right. Um, and these people are completely oblivious because we don't give them, we don't tell them, you know, what's happening. Yeah, they they're, don't know they're, they're in the middle of a Twitter. Yeah, shit. they have no idea that they're like as a PR nightmare waiting for them to, you know. Oh like, God! So that's what's kind of interesting about the show is that it's all in real time. And you're the that show that deals with that because you deal with that right, with the live element of it. So they're coming out, and really, it's Julie Chen, our host, who deals with it a lot because she's the first one to interact with them, you know, when they come out. But do you have a favorite contestant from the past? Do I have a favorite contestant? I really like Frankie Grande. I know a That's lot of people awesome. find him, you know, like... That's okay. Um, he was I, representing... I thought he was awesome. And then, you know, last season two um, was Audrey, who was the first trans character on, you know, Broadcast Network. So How really does she do? She kind of crept out. She yeah. um, uh, had... She kind of played too hard too soon. So Big Brother is... Because you can be in there 90 days, right? It's a marathon, people. It's not a sprint. You know, it's not like Amazing Race or Survivor where you can, like, burn through because it's, like, 30 days or whatever. Like, you're there for 90 days. So you can't play too hard. I mean, that's the balance is, like, do you want to sit back or do you want to, you know, play? But she kind of burned herself out really quick. And it was With the like, strategies and the yeah. alliances. And, and that, that happens. Like, you watch it on the show all the time and people are like, oh, like, just relax. Like, I, I think the key to Big Brother is knowing when to, like, take the day off or take the afternoon off. And some people just can't. You know? They can't do it. They can't do it and they burn out quick. What keeps you... Uh, involved in it and, and, and excited. What are the challenges that you like well, to... what I like about Big Brother is it's very... Um, it's a lot like working in news in a lot of ways because it's it's in the moment. It's of its time. Like, once an episode's done, like, you just gotta move on to the next thing. You know, it's unlike other shows I've worked on where in post, maybe when you start arcing things, you can go back and maybe, like, tweak things to make it germane to the, you know, episode seven or eight. You can do things to episodes one or two. But we don't have that. You know, like, episode is on the air and it's done. Like, that, yeah, that, that cake is baked. It's out in the store and you're, you're it's moving on. So, the thing is, you just have to be able... Every week is its own thing. And what I like about it is, at the beginning of the week, my desk, it's a blank slate. And at the end of the week, I can just, like, wipe everything off and I can basically and you start, start, over over, start over again. So... Um, for somebody who comes from news, it's actually a lot like the news, you know, and also like the same thing, like you're doing a story and it's a big, big story and all of a sudden it's not big because things change. So that's the other thing about Big Brother that I really like is something that was like of supreme importance one week is not. And then somebody who is maybe inconsequential to the story one week is, 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 you know, hugely important the next week. I mean, the fun thing about being on Big Brother too is is like, if you work on The Bachelor or something is you have to keep that secret for months about that, you know, that Kaylee and Brendan ended up together or whatever. So people be like, well, who's going to go home tonight? I'm like, I don't know because I'll be watching when you do, you know? And because I have to keep keep a secret, you know? And it's like, I don't know, like your guess is good as mine. And because of the live feeds, like the fans will know more, than me, I'll meet people and they'll be like, "Oh my god, did you see this happen at two o'clock in the morning?" And I watched it all night. And I'm like, "No, I did." Now, was this last season? It's an, it's over. It's over. Um, what? How did it do? Was it considered like a good season? Yeah, or? like I think the fans really liked it. Really strong players made it to the end. A yeah. lot of. 
people pair up either romantically or just pair up to like get a ride or die to make it to the end. So we had really, really good people at the end. Um, we had very strong players. There were no floaters. Like floaters are people that sort of make it too far just sort of because right. they didn't, they come the right place, right time, right place, the right time. And they just sort of float through like a soul. Yeah. Camp. But I think the feeling is this year, I think the fans were really happy because like the final five, six players were all people that had, legitimate reasons to say why they should win the game. Like, it wasn't like some dud was brought along, and then, of course, you're going to give it to the guy who was, you know, was sitting next to the dud, because that guy did everything. So I think this year, in particular, at the end, it was really like, it was anybody's game. And that's so cool. that's really fun. It's always fun when that season can happen. And it was really strong, interesting people at the end with strong points of view, and that made, I think, for a really good season. So from my understanding, when I talked to people who watched the show, they were really happy. They really liked the finale. It wasn't like a Super Bowl blowout. It was like a real competition to the end. To, to be now, there. I know there have been people that are hooked up on that show. Yes. Uh, what's the most exhibitionistic anyone's ever well, been? I mean, Has anyone ever just been like... Lights on, covers off, like... (laughs) Well, no, because we're American, right? Like, so, like, I've seen footage of the international versions of the show. And, like, those, like, they don't have doors on the the shower or whatever. Like, I've seen different clips of things, and guys are just walking around naked. Like, ultimately, we're Americans, and, like, it's an American audience, so are American players. So most people are, are pretty careful about that stuff, at least, you know, just... The, the, like, we don't tell them not to, but the house guests, you know, seem like, like, women are out and, you know, don't just take everything off, and guys right. usually, like, do the towel thing, you know, like, at the beach. So, like, you don't, like, if you do see stuff, it's usually very fleeting, and usually those images end up online, and then everyone's like, oh my god, you can see so-and-so's butt, or see his junk, or whatever. Yeah. But it's, I guess, uh, from my understanding of the international versions, the ones that I've seen is, like, it's much more... Anything goes. Anything goes. What other shows have you worked on? So I've worked on a bunch of different shows. I worked on, actually, a show that... It's been. It's always makes the list of the top ten worst reality shows ever. It's up there with like Lilith's Groom and stuff. It was a show called Greatest American Dog, and it was on CBS. It was on for a season, maybe like seven eight years ago, and it was these people picking their dog, and it was just kind of. I don't know. It just didn't really work. I mean, the dogs were great. It was it was fun working with dogs. Like that was kind of cool. Yeah. But the thing was, I had a bunch of friends who said they couldn't have worked on the show. We weren't allowed to touch the dogs being there because. If the dogs touched you, or if you touched the dog, they would have a relationship with you, and they would come to you, and then the cameras would have to follow you. So what was fascinating was we had, like, all these behaviorists and, like, vets and stuff, and they're like, look, if you ignore a dog more than a day or two, you become a piece of furniture, and they won't even notice you. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. Like, a dog's going to smell me or whatever. And sure enough, like, a dog will come up to you and, like, make its dog face and be like, hey, look at me. Pay attention to me. And if you don't show it any expression or, or like, you're doing other stuff... After a while, those dogs did not even notice us. Wow. And that was really trippy. And there were all different kinds of dogs. But basically, if you didn't engage them, they don't engage you. Why was it thought of as so bad? It just was... I don't know if the characters were great. And it just it just was kind of like... It just didn't work. It just didn't work. I mean, it was all... Everyone was well-meaning. It was, you know, it was... It just didn't work. Yeah. It just didn't work. Um, when you go... When you're... I'm Big Brother. Do you ever go into the house? Uh, very rarely. Because once yeah. they're in there, where there, there's like very set specific people who go there. I would only go in if there's a very specific reason to. I have no reason to go in. I really would rather not go in. I mean, I can count on one hand the number of times I've been in the house when we're in production. So there are people that do go in, like, will do certain things. Um, and then obviously, you know, at different times, the crew needs to come in for technical reasons or whatever. Um, we can do that too. And 
people who watch the show know that people will get locked. There's lockdowns. <laughs> so the house can get locked in or out of the house depending on what needs to happen. And then <clears throat> people who watch the show know the back, there's a backyard and the backyard gets transformed for competition. It's amazing what uh, the art and the competition people do in terms of creating. Of making it totally different. Making like a, from Winter Wonderland to like a safari setting to... You know, uh, you know, Pharaoh's tomb. Like it's unbelievable the things that they do, and that's pretty amazing. In the course of just a couple of days, you know, how quickly we turn things around. So, Has anyone almost ever died on that show? Not that I know of. I mean, we've had some like medical emergencies that have you know that aired and stuff, and right. we tend to air that stuff. Like it, it happens. It happens know. these things. But nothing. Thank goodness, nobody. Nothing super crazy has ever happened. Right when I've been there. So. And you've done a fair amount of journalism for I have. like Advocate and for Tears and stuff like I that. I did. So for a long time. So basically, I started. My my career um, on the syndication side, I worked as um, in TV syndication when I first moved to town, which is all the shows that are on. Like, I worked for Columbia TriStar, which is Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy and those kind right. of shows. Did like talk shows and things. So they distributed all those shows and then distributed, like you know how like once a show's been, uh, like a sitcom's been on the air for a while and then it shows up five days a week, you know, at like seven o'clock or eleven o'clock. So I worked on shows like that, you know, shows that came off network that were sold to local stations and stuff. And then from there, I worked at an agency for a while. And then for a hot minute, I was actually a... I don't know if you know, I don't know, if you know this about me. Right? I don't know. I was a PA on The Nanny. Willie, with Fran Drescher. With Fran Drescher. What was, that, what was your favorite memory of that? She... I, well, the thing about Fran was, I guess she was kind of fearless about going up to people who had no business being on her show and inviting them to be on her show. So when I was there... Ray Charles was on Spalding Gray, the late great Spalding Gray had a recurring role as her therapist. And then Elton John was there when I was there. Like he came on to do, it was to promote the boyfriend's um, documentary, but then also to make money or to raise money for his charity. Right. So like we did this whole episode with Elton John and then like Ray Charles was there and he played piano for everybody and stuff. So the best thing about the show was she was just really like good for her. Like she would just go to people at parties and be like, you should be on my show. And it would happen. And it would happen. She seems cool. She's super cool. Like the thing about it is, which was kind of awesome was nobody worked harder than her. Um, she was very nice to everybody. She took really good care of people. People had been there a really, really long time. Like she was really terrific. She's one of the good ones. She was totally one of the good ones. And there were people that had been there for years and people that adored her and she was great. Like I really respected her because she, you know, never gave anybody a hard time. She was definitely, people think because that character was so outrageous, all the crazy clothes yeah. and stuff. No, that wasn't her. Like, that was all for camera. That wasn't for her. Somebody used to, I think it was Tony, he had his, his mother would say, or his grandmother would say, do you like that, do you like that, the nanny? Like that, the nanny? Yeah, it was just the way that they phrased the that and the the. Um, when you were doing journalism, like Advocate and stuff like that, what's some of the pieces that you worked on that you remember that you felt like, wow, this was really good I'm, I'm proud of that I feel like there was a couple things so I remember in like 98, 99 I did a piece on crystal meth which wow was, you're ahead of the curve I know and it was sort of like this is what's happening in our community and just reading and like I remember someone talking about it like these guys who were so tweaked out on meth they would well this might be too much for your, for your audience it's not okay. it's not so these guys I love meth stories okay so these guys would jerk off so much they would like rub the skin off their dicks right like it's crazy crazy like some of the things that happened and what happened was i remember talking to somebody and they were like yeah like weekend warriors like guys who can party and like go out and do their party drugs and then have their like great yeah they show up the agency the next day no not so much so like i remember talking to people who 
you know, especially like in the early days, it was sort of like, I think it was almost similar to AIDS where like people just didn't know what was coming. So guys who had like houses in the hills, like six figure jobs in the agencies or either agencies or the networks or the studios or whatever. And then like eight months later, we're homeless and HIV positive. So like I remember interviewing, talked to some guys who had like left LA, like they needed to like get out because it was getting ready to kill them. So I, I mean, if there was a really short period where I think that fire was really strong, but I remember a couple pieces I wrote just talking to people about how meth was so different from other things in terms of like the party drugs and things that people did. And then just how ironic and how close it was. The real tragedy was like, you know, the cocktail had come online just a few years before that. Right. You know, people weren't dying the way they were dying. And yet people were still becoming infected. And then they were getting the dual infection of, um, you know, AIDS with, um, HEP, which was just, you know, brutal. So, yeah. It was that was kind of amazing to write those stories, and then the other things that were just so wild, and really, which helped me in my career was um, gay marriage coming along. So, you know, in the early aughts, writing for like I was writing for a couple of magazines, and I was asked to write for them because no one had ever really written about gay marriage for them in a way that they thought for was which really magazine? Useful. So, um, I was writing for the LA Weekly, and then I wrote a bunch of pieces for the Nation. Oh, that's and cool! It was a really exciting time. Like, I did wish you meet Katrina Vandenhuvel. I did. I did. I met her. At, She's always on like the panel yep, shows. Yeah, and I met her at Ariana Huffington's house. So oh my it was, like, gosh! Ultra like bougie. That's left. so pundity. Yeah, and then who was? And then the guy who was holding court in the middle of the living room was Gorbel. Wow. Yeah. So it was like super pundit. But I got to tell you, those those um, like it was the hardest place to get a drink because those entitled West Side liberals, man, do not give you an in at the bar. Like. Those women are sharp elbowed. They are not going to let you. They're not going to let you in. Like, oh hi, no. Like, no. it was rough getting a drink there. Like, everybody's entitled. So that's good to know. But it was fun. Like Ariana's house and stuff. Yeah. And, like, Where was it? She lived in Brentwood. She yeah. had this like U shaped house with this backyard and everything. I went to like three or four parties there, and it was it was super fun. Like you'd see like like Dennis Hopper and like other and like um, what's his oh the guy from the West Wing um, who's on um, Lawrence O'Donnell. Like it was like people oh, like yeah. that. You know, like all these talking heads, like talking to one another. It was pretty trippy. I like Lawrence O'Donnell, but he, there's, I, there's one thing I will never not be bugged by. It was the last, it was the 2012 campaign and Rick Santorum said shit on a rope line. Like he was just, he just slipped and said shit. Right. He was, they caught him in a moment where he was a human being and said yeah, shit. Yeah. And Lawrence was like sort of hectoring and lecturing, and I'm like, dude, oh, don't be an ad. don't be an ad. don't be that guy. Uh, oh, and the fake of the hypocrisy. I'm like, come well, on. There's plenty of other things to be like appalled by. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I, I, I've always been. I was on Rick Santorum's side in that particular battle. You're like, who am I? I mean, I yeah, because he said shit. All right, you picked some questions from the observation. I deck. did. Let's go through some of these. All right, let's see. All right, any award show story? Okay, so that was the fun thing. So I was a, a trade journalist for a magazine called Television Week, which has since gone away. So like would, most of them. Right. So I got to go to the um, the award shows. So in general, award shows are a drag, right? Because like you're all dressed up. Like, God forbid you have to work right car because it's a nightmare. And then a lot of times you're like sitting in these chairs and like watching and it's, it's horrible. It's horrible, horrible, horrible. Unless you're nominated, it's, it's fun. So the good, the best one is, well, there's two things. The best thing about being a journalist was like, if you got to work in the, have you, have you ever been back at like the Emmys or something? I have. I did the Emmys for Us Weekly. Right. The year that Ellen won for everything. So there's like food everywhere and there's yeah. like big tables because you can like work on your laptop and then like, they don't like bother you about being loud. Like you can talk during the thing and then they right. bring people out and then you ask them questions. It's all good. And they give you transcripts and then. 
off to the side are all the booths, like for Access Hollywood and E and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So, but have you ever been to the Golden Globes? No. Okay, that's the one to go to because it's like Hollywood prom. Yeah. So the Golden Globes really, like, you know, the, it's with the boozy tables and it was the yeah. joke for the longest time and now it's a big deal and everything. Of course. So it's at this big hotel in Beverly Hills. But what happens is, which is kind of amazing, is that people don't really leave the hotel after. So, like, Warner Brothers will always take over one area of the hotel, and HBO takes over another area, and ABC, Disney takes over another. And, like, NBC, Universal traditionally takes over part of the parking lot. So it kind of feels like Hollywood prom. So, like, you go, you're in the press room, and remember, they're all just all in a ballroom, and they're sitting at tables, and they've also... like everyone's happy because they've been drinking and eating. Like they're not. Right. It's not at the end of a award show where you're there for three and a half hours and you've, you've a had to be props because they're all cameras are always cutting to you. But you can't eat or drink, right? And you can't really get up. Where at the Golden Globes, so everyone's in a good mood first right. off. And then basically, you don't have to load into your car. You're just walking around the hotel. So like you're in an elevator and there's Alice and Janney and Laura Liddy and like right. you're waiting in line for food and it's somebody else with you. Like it's much more congenial. And everyone's in a good mood because they haven't, it hasn't been as like so much of an ordeal as some of the other award shows are. So you're just wandering around the hotel, you know, you have your invites to certain things and you might just get pulled into a room and like people are hanging out partying and it's like everyone's in their tuxedo and stuff. It felt like prom night at a really nice high school with much more attractive people who were nicer and there's plenty of booze. Where did you grow up, by the way? I grew up in Jersey. I grew up, was born in New York City and grew up in, in New Jersey. What I said. Is uh, that what people say? When yeah, they, they do. Yeah, yeah, they say a lot. What I, I grew up in, in uh, mostly western New Jersey, like okay. near the Delaware Water Gap. And then anybody who grew up in New Jersey, I grew up near Action Park, which was like uh, Alpine Slide and Ski Area. All right. So That's cool. I grew up like in the country. Where's the coolest place you've gotten to go for work? Oh, I would say, well, besides Greenland, right. which is kind of awesome, um, I got to go to Rio, which is something. Wow. And that That's was, amazing. That was amazing. What, is, so, what was the gig? So when I don't do TV stuff, I work for a consulting company and I yeah. consult on big events. And one of my clients was this big oil company and they sent me to Rio because um, they had this big conference there. So there's all this offshore oil in, in Brazil and there's this big offshore oil conference there. So I got to go to that. But the coolest thing was I met this guy. I just went online and looked up gay tours and I found this guy that gives gay tours of Brazil and he was awesome. So we went on a night tour of Lapa, which is this like sort of nightlife area and stuff. And he also took me across the bay. I didn't realize that there was a, a like a bay and there's all these other towns in there. So we went to Niteroi, which is this beautiful town where Oscar Niemeyer, who's this famous um, Brazilian architect, built all these buildings. So oh, cool. I got to go and see all these really trippy, they all look like uh, saucers and spaceships. It's all very mid-century style. So this town, Niteroi, has like seven or eight different buildings and different structures that he's built, and that was awesome. Love it. Describe your most unfortunate haircut. Oh, so we're going to go back to the early 80s. We're going to go back to like the, well we the, the day after and, you right. know, like the Americans, like early 80s, 83, 82. And, you know, Jan Michael Vincent was sort of rocking that zipper cut, man. What's a zipper cut? You know, with the, the part down the middle. Yeah. It's all split on the sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for whatever reason, I desperately, desperately wanted a zipper cut because it seems like it's what all the cool kids yes, were Yes, of course. But my hair just did not... Didn't take to didn't, it. Didn't, you know, allow, How old would you allow itself. I was 12 or 13. Yeah. And I tried the zipper cut and it just... I wanted the Chris Partridge flip in the back How'd of it. How'd it go? Well, I used to sleep with my hair kind of 
tilt it up. Like, did you did you put so a curler? I you to, did you I actually do just done a curler, but I was, did it work? Was it how successful? Uh, it was semi successful. All right, I didn't say it. I didn't. I didn't uh, open up the drumming world to me. Okay, was it blondy? Did you have like highlights and stuff, or you didn't do that? I was already blonde, kind of a blonde kid. So all right, well, that works. All right. Do you have any scars or tattoos with stories? Well, the one thing I have is um, everyone thinks I have a hickey. So right. I don't know if you've noticed before, I have a big purple red splotch on my neck. Nice. So usually once or twice a day, someone's like, "Hey," and with the snap, yeah, you like, score. Nice hickey, like, yeah. oh. Once or twice a day, literally. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. It's... And what do you say? Oh no, it's a birthmark. No, I'm like, or I say, oh, I got it from my mom. Oh, so that's, that's cute. That's cute. And then people are like, dude, like, what's that about? And then I have to explain. And then if people are dicks, which happens sometimes, they're like, no, people it's not. can be dicks. Because they just deny. And they're like, no, that's not what it is. It's a hickey. They're like, well, I think of hickey. And I'm like, no. And then I realized that a lot of people do it because they're kind of being flirtatious or, you know, they're just trying to spark, so get, get the ball spark up a conversation. Sure. And I'm just like, no. So that's it. But it goes all the way down my shoulder and across my back. So I have like this big map of Indonesia across. Like I'd be like Mikhail Gorbachev, but my shoulder and arm and my neck. But it really doesn't kind of look like a, When you were younger, like a, were you, did, did, was it something you got teased It was not as progressed. No. For whatever reason, it's something no one ever mentioned when I was a kid. Yeah. Because we didn't know what hickeys were right and i really don't remember it until i became a gay man like, and then it became a gay thing. guys are always like boom about it so all right and last question what's your favorite bad movie oh my favorite bad movie is a little ditty from the late 60s called the trouble the trouble with angels have you ever seen that was is it Haley mills yes okay and rosalind russell and there's right. like no men in it and it's about two girls at a convent and they're the bad girls at the convent and right. then um um yeah, um, what's her name? From Andy Mayne. Rosalind. Rosalind Russell, Russell plays yeah. the Mother Superior. And nice. there's this theme they play through the whole thing. And it's it's not very good, but it's awesome. I watch it But all it's the really time. fun. Whenever it's Haley on. Haley Mills only plays one part. Yeah. She's not the parent. No, she's not playing no twins. Yeah. Because I like her when she plays twins. Yeah, but she's a bad girl. Yeah. She's the bad girl at the convent. So you've done journalism, you've done re, uh, TV producing, you've done consulting. What's something you want to do, like... I know you're developing some projects. Right. Like what's something like, okay, if I'm going to do another detour, I would love to go into this. Look, I started in scripted and I really right. enjoyed scripted. So like, you know, getting back into that world would be really cool. Um, I don't know if that's, that would happen at this point in my career, but it's something I really enjoyed. So sure. I mean, I'm hoping like one more swing through, like one more swing through, a, like, you know, through the industry or whatever. Like it was oh funny. My I, God. <laughs> the thought of it gave me like, uh, like a visceral, well, um, Figure out a way. It didn't sound as I, I, you. You meant it to sound fun, and I got. Um, you were like, it, it, took, it took you to a bad place. <laughs> well, no, it's funny. So I, I was with a friend of mine from college, a, a mutual friend of ours. Um, she been married, but she renewed her vows, or sort of. She, she eloped the first time. She finally yeah. had a big party, even though she has three kids. Like jigs up. So we had this big event in um, in uh, uh, Park City, Utah, and I was there with a bunch of friends from college. And one of the women said, "She's like, well, what's your fourth quarter plan?" Fourth quarter plan. I, I like, need a fourth oh, quarter plan. That's oh. I was like, so it, instead of being terrified, I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I like know. a fourth quarter plan. Fourth quarter plan. So she, and I'm like, are we in the fourth quarter? And she's like, we're in the third now. And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess you're oh, right. Oh shit. It's all right. All right. Go out strong. It's gonna Dennis. be a go out strong. I'm gonna come up with a fourth quarter plan. Bunch and touchdowns. Jane Fonda's like the final third. Like her, her old book has another term for it, but yeah. I think there's threes. Yeah. But I mean like the, the third act. Yeah. But I mean, it's, we're not even that Fourth far quarter, yeah, 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 yeah. We're still in our, th- you know, either second act or third quarter or whatever. I'm in the locker room weeping. Oh, that's halftime. not true. No, it's okay. It's all good. The mascot head's sitting there. Yeah. It's all like... We do yoga. Right. We get centered. 
Um, we also, we should share where we went in Palm Springs. It was really neat. Yes. What was that place? Sunnylands? We, we went to Sunnylands, which was awesome. If you're ever in Palm Springs, go there. Uh, they have a free yoga class with the grounds, and then there's a tour you can take, but I didn't, we didn't take the tour. But it was a cool, it was a cool thing. Yoga was good. All right. This was fun. Thanks for sharing fun. the adventure of Greenland and all your other stories. And um, do you have a Twitter or anything you want to lead people to? I don't really. I'm not that kind of guy. You can God go to my, you. my Instagram. I don't know how you expect to have a, a fourth act. I know. A like, fourth quarter. No without... one knows what I'm doing. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry. Fourth quarter is for the people with the Twitter followers. Um, no, it's all good. But um, watch Big Brother next summer when it comes on again and, and think of Chris. And yeah, go to Greenland. It's go amazing. Go to Greenland. I said that. Go to Greenland. Go That's to Greenland. All right. And go to DennisAnyone.net. I'm going to post some Greenland photos. And thank you for being patient with Enzo, who was around for the interview, but was pretty good. He was pretty good. All right. Bye. Thanks again to Chris Lasada for doing the podcast and informing me that Greenland has no trees. That's still, that's kind of a mind blower. Can't get over that. Um, so this happened, um, well, I was the Burbank Public Library. Once every couple of years, I am reminded that libraries are a thing that exist. Every time I go in there, it's like, oh my God, there's all this stuff in here and you can check it out for free. Like, I, the concept is always, like, uh, the, the most exciting thing I've ever realized. But apparently libraries have been around for a long time, even when I was a kid. So anyway, I checked out the DVD to A Face in the Crowd, which is the Elia, Elia Kazan, Elia Kazan um, movie starring Andy Griffith about um, this sort of folk-singing you know, charismatic dude that becomes this sort of media sensation. And a lot of people are saying, it, you know, it's the Trump phenomenon in a movie. And so I wanted to see it, and they had it, and I checked it out. And it is a really, A, it's a terrific movie. It's so well-observed and so sort of cynical and spot-on about stuff. But the Trump parallels are kind of amazing. Like, you know, he's he he tells people to do dumb things, and they do it, you know, and he gets people to follow him and he's cavalier and he doesn't care. And he, uh, chases tail. And at the end, he ends up screaming alone in a really tall building and everyone leaves him behind. So I hope that's the way, um, this election plays out. Although, Hey, I, I, you know, who knows? But, um, anyway, if you haven't seen that movie, it's definitely worth seeing, especially now. All right. That's all I got for you. Thanks for listening. And, uh, we'll catch you next time on Dennis. Anyone. Bye. (laughs) 